Everybody in the car, so come on, let's ride it. Two, one, two, three, Monica, two, Monica, two, one, two, four, two, Monica, Maria, Monica, 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 Angela, three, Sabrina, eight, one, two, three, four, nine, Monica, two, Margaret. Welcome back to Stack episode 27, everybody. <laughs> God damn it. Going to what, what has been our stupidest intro? Do you think that might take the cake for a stupid... I don't know. I think the nuclear winter would be with the <laughs> arm coming out of my forehead. It was pretty fucking dumb. But well, I feel like my there was maybe... Getting removed. Oh, that, yeah, that, was, that was pretty good. I, I think our best one so far has been when we voiced uh, the 20th Century Fox opening. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got to do the universal one sometime. <laughs> No, yeah, not we now. Do. We gotta save that. We'll yeah, save that. we gotta save. Sorry, spoilers. That's that's what it might sound like. You never know. <laughs> but yeah, right. welcome back to Stack Episode Twenty Seven, everybody. I'm your host Ethan, along with I'm Brandon, and I'm Chris. And today is a good day to die hard. To die hard, because we're talking about die hard movies. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, we are talking about movies about friendship about friends you know we did i think this is similar to the movies about family episode we did a few weeks back you know but instead this is a movie about more a more platonic love for one another you know um fellas how did you classify like what a movie about friendship was for you you know chris what did what 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 was your thought process behind this i think for me what kind of like was an eye-opening thing for me was to kind of look at friendship as a concept in the sense of like it's it is a lot of like finding this bond between you and someone else um and you know it being something that brings a lot of joy but also i think it's important to address like friendship isn't always you know the happiness and bliss that you might always think it is so there are intricacies there and right. i think the best friendship movies at least you know, which drove me to make my picks were are shaped by these ins and outs of friendships and showing how turbulent it can be, how sad it can be, but also how uplifting and like great it is as an, as something that we as humans do. Yeah. Brandon, what about you? Uh I went all over the place. Yeah? I um I have one that's like an unlikely friendship. I have one that's more like cutesy a little mature, but like it's about friendship. And then the mm-hmm. last one, I wouldn't say is necessarily platonic, but I'm not saying it's not not platonic. Man, I wonder what... I think I have an idea what movie that might be. <laughs> I, I don't think you're right. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well... Is it up on I, Poppy Hill? No. <laughs> <laughs> They're <No>. just friends! <laughs> Very platonic. platonic all right no we're not getting back to that conversation uh for me i don't know i just like i i i had to make this movie i focused it on just like a friendship of two people you mean i mean you could do movies with like a group of friends you know like Like i friends the movie like friend is there a friends movie no no (laughs) or like the hangover or something like that i don't know (laughs) uh but uh yeah i just focused on two people and like 
different kinds of bonds that just I think that this is just like the most platonic I don't know it's it's weird to say not romantic it's platonic you know these are the most no. platonic movies I can think of between two people uh yeah that's how I did this list my my stack but let's get into how, how the show works so we can just get right into the movies cuz this is a movie podcast after all so let's let's dive into movies but first let's say how the show works once a week, we set a topic or theme, go our separate ways to construct our own three-film stack. Then after a week, we come back here on the podcast and share our own stacks one film at a time. Then at the end of the show, we will mix and match our nine films to make the ultimate decision on what quintessential three-film stack we're checking out this hypothetical video store. There we go. That's how it works. Guess what? I'm kicking off this episode today with my first pick. Uh, neither of you two have seen this movies. Uh... This series of movies, but I picked the first in the series. Uh, this movie, this first film is actually, um, it's a compilation of sort of uh, a, tel a, a television series where it was condensed into one film. Just this first one, but then the, the next in the series was sort of uh, their own productions. You know, this is directed by Michael Winterbottom. It's a 2010 film. It's called The Trip. Now, have any of you guys heard of The Trip? Starring, uh, no, Steve Coogan, and oh, you talk about these a lot. Do I? On Letterboxd. Oh yeah, because I I think I watched them all this year. Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. Uh, now let me let me paint a picture in your guys' head. Imagine the three of us. Okay. Ima remember when we used to go out to lunch? You know, no. and the, there's the, the times we would have going out to lunch. Now, um, picture that for a full movie. And that's what this movie is. It's kind of like my dinner with Andre, but not really. It's because it's not one entire lunch. It's it's a trip. So it's about these two friends, Steve Coogan, Rob Ryan. They played they play exaggerated versions of themselves. So uh, Rob Ryan is more like. They're both a British comedians, so Rob Ryan's more like uh, a dude who's like he he really plays into his act as a comedian. Like it's hard for him to differentiate differentiate himself while he's on stage or in the real world. So he's always doing impressions and stuff like that. If you haven't heard some of his bits, like the Tiny Man in a Box, you should definitely check him out. He's pretty he's a hilarious guy. And then Steve Coogan. This came out like when he was trying to go for more serious roles. So he plays into the character of like, um, trying to be like sort of pretentious, you know, it sort of reminds me of, uh, the Jonah Hill character from this is the end, you know, it's, it's similar, similar depictions of characters from the movie. This is the end. And the movie is just about them going on a trip, uh, up into Northern England. And I think, did they go to, uh, Scotland? I think so. But it's just them. They go to various restaurants. They uh, people make meals for them, and each like set piece is just them having a meal together and doing impressions of Michael Caine or Sean Connery, um, and just like shooting the shit like we do during lunch, you know. And you can tell that there's like the strong friendship bond between them. I mean, they made four of these movies, so you know that they must like each other for them to keep making these, these together. And uh, yeah, it's just, it, I think this is just a really good time about just friends being friends in the moment, you know? 
And yeah, it just reminds me of like having having lunch with my friends and shooting the shit and goofing off with you guys. So yeah, that's that's my first pick. Uh, I don't. You guys can include something if you want. I know you both haven't seen it. Chris, have you even heard of the, the, these trip movies before? No, the, the not today? at all. I mean, okay. no, I don't think I have. Like, this is completely new to me. Yeah, you should you should check them out. They're really fun. They're super relaxing. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are movies that like uh, my dad showed them to me, and we'd always watch them like at like eleven p.m. at night. You know, where like we're really sleepy, but mm-hmm. it, they're just like these super uh, easy to watch uh light films i mean some of the later ones still some with like some pretty intense stuff in their lives um i think the fourth one being the best one but i i chose the first one in the series just because like it sets up the dynamic and everything that goes on in the series you know so mm-hmm. uh yeah that's why i chose this film brandon any any thoughts i have questions yeah go for it so is this like a documentary series that they turned into movies or like is it like scripted like because i'm confused by I, I think it's i think it's unscripted they it's unscripted segments of them having lunch together and then they like they sort of form a narrative around it so I, like you know? my dinner with andre a little bit like you mentioned right 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 yeah but instead of one long dinner it's like a bunch so i like that it's like you can clearly tell like there's a narrative um when they're going from place to place, like Steve Coogan is having like troubles uh, with his agent and stuff like that, you know, trying to book gigs in America because he wants to be like a serious actor in America. And then Rob is like, um, I think it, like he just had a kid. So he's like checking in on his wife and stuff. And like, uh, sort of like, there's like this internal thing about him being a father and stuff like that. But like, so as they're like, they're touring places uh in northern england but when it comes down to them having lunch and eating the food i think that's all unscripted and them just hanging out you know mm-hmm. it's a really creative series and i think you guys should all check it out it's super cool okay. all right. right that's my first pick brandon take us into your first pick my first pick is from 1998 a very unlikely friendship i'm talking mm. about the film central station ah oh. a brazilian movie about a woman who is a, a, a widowed or single woman in her 50s or 60s who has to or is tasked with looking after an orphan child who ends up like following her around after finding her at a train station one day. And I was completely caught off guard watching this movie the first time in Latin cinema class um, last year, I think. Was it last year, Ethan? it's been so long i don't it has i think i think it no was it fall of was it exactly a year ago i think it might be yeah i think it was yeah yeah and i mean this is a story about these two characters forming an unlikely bond as she kind of like guiltily uh, tries to find this kid's home and where he belongs and their chemistry and report, although they are like 50, 60, 70 years apart in age, is like immediate, like there's so much chemistry there. It's totally platonic. There's a lot of kindness, there, but there's also a lot of hard scenes where they lie to each other about certain things to make each other feel better. But in the end, like they end up hurting each other be, because of what they do. 
but it is for the better and honestly i found it to be a beautiful movie a very impactful movie and right after class i bought it on uh apple because i was i itunes because i was just like that movie was just so special and kind that i was like that there's no better friendship movie yes central station we watched it together um i think the thing that stood out the most to me in this movie was uh the kid i i i forgot uh let's see vinicius de Oliveira. i think that's his name mm-hmm. uh i probably botched the pronunciation of that my apologies but if i i feel like like one day we got to do like the greatest child actors stacked i feel like he would be in my picks you know um and I, I, I totally, yeah, I think it's a really good uh, distinction that you made of, like, this is clearly a platonic film, you know? Like, it very could have, it very well could have gone, like, a mother-son relationship that they have. But no, you, you totally feel like that they're just, like, these two different people uh, from different ages that they come together and they share a, a, a friendship bond, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I, I liked the film. I, I don't think I loved it just because I thought it it hammered in it's a it's a road trip movie. I know you love road trip movies. And I think it I think it hammered in its message of like, you know, the classic like it's not the the destination, it's the journey, you know? Uh that sort of message that goes on. I think I think that it went a little too hard on that one. And uh it, it won best pick best form, didn't it? I, I believe it did, but it was also nominated for Best Actress. Uh, really? Yeah. She was great, too. She lost to Gwyneth Paltrow in Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> and that is... That that movie just fucked over everything that year. It did, because Central <laughs> can, can we get a Can we get a redo for the 1998 Oscars? <laughs> or I guess it would be the 1999 yeah. Oscars, yeah. right? Yeah. We, let's, just, let's just get a redo on that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Chris, this is a I, I this is a pretty uh inside baseball pick. Have you heard of this film? No, I I haven't. I mean like I just searched it up on Letterboxd and like based on like what you guys were talking about, like how like this unlikely uh platonic friendship between this woman and this like boy and like I don't know, I think like I feel like oftentimes um, you know, it's kind of like this cross-generational kind of friendship is something you don't see very often in real life and in film. Um, But I think like, you know, it's something, I don't know how to put this, but like, I think there's something like really interesting about like when you have something like that's so unusual, but like if it, if it warms your heart and it's all in the right, for the right reasons and everything, like, I don't know. I think there's something really like sweetly beautiful about that. Um, right. granted I don't know anything about this movie I don't know granted I have no idea what what I'm talking about but yeah I think like based on what you guys have told me this seems like a really like am I correct to say like is this a melodramatic movie I don't know it can be at times but yeah I feel like it balances it well with like comic relief and or just like genuinely lighter moments mm-hmm. you know often you get sucked into the idea that a film can only be one of those things and it's not i think Mm -hmm. it transcends that i think a lot of foreign film does because they know how to play with genre better than we do Mm -hmm. um 
but Central Station is just like it's weird. Their relationship is almost like sarcastic too at some points. Yeah. Like there are certain moments where like they definitely don't respect each other and it's made clear by the way they speak to one another. Mm-hmm. But like they've have like unlikely bonds formed over small little things or experiencing hardship together. And it's very it's very it's not relatable necessarily, but because you're a human being, you can kind of empathize for them. Right. I was going to say that it's like a very humanist film. And Mm -hmm. this is another one of the films where the ending like just hits you hard, you know, Mm -hmm. not spoiling anything, but just like you'll see like either way how this situation goes. It's like it's kind of a it's kind of a a sad ending. And it's just like, oh, but like I said, it was a beautiful journey. Uh, Yeah. Great pick, Brandon. Chris, Mm -hmm. do you want to take us into your first pick? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to, hmm, I guess I'll start with this one. Uh, 2014 film uh, directed by, I think, Dean de, Ble- de Bois. Dean de Bois, I don't know, I guess. Um, the Boys. Some, the boy. <laughs> the Boys. 2014 Dean de Bois. Um, <laughs> uh, it is a DreamWorks film. Uh, it's How to Train Your Dragon 2. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I love the how to train your dragon series i think it is probably maybe next to shrek no it's above shrek and maybe no next to kung fu panda the best work that dreamworks has put out okay um i think yeah so how to explain this um basically this film takes place in a world uh where these vikings have domestic following the first movie have domesticated dragons as their pets but also they now are an active part of their community and their way of life. Now, the heart and soul of the entire series rests on the shoulders of the relationship between the lead character Hiccup and his pet dragon, Toothless. Now, I think a lot of people, when they see this movie, the first thing they think of is, this is just like me and my pet. It really does feel like you see a bond between a person and someone else on a level that is so like, yeah, I don't know. Like you don't really communicate with your pets in like verbally in the sense of like, you guys are having a verbal exchange, but there's a connection that you have there. There's a level of trust and there's a level of like intimacy that you guys have with one another. And I think they explore that really well. And I, and like I said, in the beginning of the episode, one thing that I really look for in friendship films is showing this kind of dynamic of it's not always sunshines and rainbows there's like ins and outs of it and i think hiccup and um toothless have throughout the entire series you see their arc transition and especially in this movie there's a scene where hiccup and toothless are very much not good with each other right um i won't spoil the reason why because it is drastic for the entire film but it is something that like i think best friends no matter how good friends you are you will fight you'll argue and yeah, I don't. Um, I think that's a really great thing that they address that, and but also show like you know friendship perseveres. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's such a delightful movie. I have so much fun with these movies, especially the second one, which is my favorite. Anytime I watch it, what do you guys think? This is my least favorite of the How to Train Your Dragon movies. I know that's mm. kind of an unpopular opinion because I know a lot of people love the second one the most. 
Um, it's a good. I think all of them are good pre- friendship movies. The first one's really about building that bond of friendship and trust between a dragon and a human being. The second one is the furthering of that relationship, but I I see it as less focused on Hiccup and Toothless's relationship and more with Hiccup and Hiccup's his relationship mo- his with mom. his his mom, mom yeah, and his yeah. his dad. And the, the I I really think the third one is probably like the best at depicting a friendship kind of take its course you know what i mean mm-hmm. like the beauty of that that last film and especially yeah. the last sequence in that film yeah really blew me away in terms of depicting friendship but i'm not trying to di- under undercount your your choice here because i think it's still a really good film jay baruchel and does a really good job at kind of showing that part of the relationship when the other character isn't vocal because mm. for the most part like toothless doesn't vocalize right it's mostly yeah. in the animation right so jay Barrishow has to do a lot of heavy lifting with the animators here to make it seem convincing and there are moments within the movie that do really show that that friendship well uh their flight together at the beginning for example like yeah, beautiful sequence that shows that they've song, learned to trust yeah. each other yeah yeah um and they know each other out outside and back, just like friends do. I just think it's not really focused on that in comparison. Yeah, to the third. no, like but not, not that you say films, that all three. Of them. Yeah, like like now that you say that, like I am recognizing like how the third one does kind of dial in to the intimacy of their friendship, and especially by the end, you really do understand what kind of dynamic they have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing they do by the end is they learn to not be codependent upon each other. They're independent beings that are united by their friendship rather than codependent based on their friendship. It's, um, it does better what Wreck-It Ralph 2 tried to do about insecurity. I guess, yeah. yeah, I think that's ah. true. And they, yeah, they did that really great. And yeah, I guess like maybe the reason I picked the second one, um, it probably, it's quite frankly, probably just because it's my favorite of the three. But yeah, no, I totally see your point about the third one might dial into that aspect more. But yeah, Ethan, what are you a fan of these movies? Uh, I'm I'm middle of the road with these movies. Mm-hmm. I, I I think this one is my favorite of the trilogy, like you, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I don't know. I just I thought uh I think the first one has the most memorable story, just because it is like the boy and his dog in an unexpected situation. But um, I think I just. I, I enjoy this film, like you said, because now we have the established relationship. Uh, now we're watching like these two uh, sort of go through more stuff that people in a friendship do. And I, I, I like that you brought up a boy and his dog story because that is like, that's a valid f- friendship, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't really think about that when I was picking my film. So um, I, yeah, I, I think, I mean, Roger Deakins, he, yeah, he he supervised the cinematography on this one, you know. Yeah. Um, it's got it's got a great score. It's the action is always super cool in these movies. Um, yeah. I just I, I I'm gonna be honest. I can't I can't remember what exactly happens in this film. I I I always confuse what happens in this film with the next with the third one. Like mm-hmm. I confuse the villains. I don't know for some reason. Is this the one with um? The dude who like captures dragons. Yeah, this is the one that captures the they third one. They do in both movies. Yeah, they do in the oh, third one. Too. That's probably my confusion. Mm. Wait, okay, so is this like the? Uh, he he. He's more more of the one. like. Is he like a scientist or something? 
No, that's the third one. The that's the third one, one? more just like he wants to the second one. Them. He's oh yeah, enslaved. Oh, like the warrior them. dude. Yeah, because he wants to like kill the queen monster so that he's basically the alpha. Okay. Okay. Whereas yeah. With, um, the third one, it's like they want to control the alpha as well as like the resources of the dragons so that they're not a threat to them. Okay. So and one's a warmonger, the other one's just like a wants the, all the power but doesn't gotcha. want to do war. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I sort of think that there's like a lot of similarities between the next two sequels, but. I don't remember why, but it's this one was the most uh, the highest rated one that it came out of the three. So it's my favorite. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> All right, good, at, good out of the box pick there, Chris. I didn't think about a boy and his dog. A boy, uh, a boy and his dog for uh, this episode. Okay, so my second pick is a a film we've all we all saw the remake together, but I think. Only Brandon and I have seen the original. Oh shit, I know what this is. <laughs> so it is it's... not the film starring Kevin Hart and Brian yeah, Cranston. Yeah, Brian Cranston, yeah. <laughs> it's the 2011 <laughs> original uh, starring Omar Sy and Francois Clouzet called The Untouchables. Now, uh, this, like uh, Central Station, it's uh, two people like from completely different backgrounds uh coming together and forging a really beautiful bond uh so the movie's about uh, a really rich dude in in paris who uh because of a hang gliding accident becomes a quadriplegic so uh they're looking for like a caretaker to help him like uh you know drive him around town or like you know there's a lot of responsibilities uh with taking care of a quadriplegic person like uh washing them and like uh, change like changing them you know um and so omar Sy is a dude from the projects of uh paris you know sort of the outside lower class and he's struggling to find a job and um he he comes into this interview just to get a signature for like his unemployment but um because of just like his personality uh the like uh, the quadriplegic aristocrat, or, aristocrat, no aristocrat. Sorry, uh, the aristocrat. The aristocrat. Yeah, and they're all cats. Hey, hey. <laughs> no, but he sort of takes a liking to him just because by his attitude, because he doesn't want like uh, he doesn't want someone to like feel sorry for him. And Omar Sy kind of gives an attitude because he still treats him like a human being, and that's kind of what this dude wants. And sign the paper. Yeah, so he signs the paper, and he actually ends up getting the job. So the movie's about them, sort of these two people, again, from different walks of life coming together and forming this beautiful relationship. Brandon, Mm -hmm. you've seen this film. I think you love it just as much as me. Yes. What do you think of The Untouchables? Uh, I saw this movie sometime in the early 2010s. So like near after it came out, I don't remember why or how. I think I saw it at home, rented it, thought it looked kind of cool. And just my dad and I really enjoyed it. It was a really good father-son movie to sit back and kind of watch because it's so unexpected, you know. It starts out with this, like, really dramatic scene, just like the one in the remake where he's, like, on the way to the hospital, supposedly. And then they kind of, like, get away with it, essentially, because Omar Sy was speeding. Uh, And 
it, it's like a great depiction of like their relationship and it like much like central station it's similar you know like there's there's always this it, although they're not separated by age they are definitely separated by wealth by background uh by descent race right yeah exactly and despite all of those barriers like they find a way to connect on certain levels whether it be by music or senses of humor that are very dark and depressing or maybe their own tragic versions of their backstories i mean uh the the wealthy guy in this movie played by closette is mm-hmm. very like dark his background is dark he, he lost his legs basically in a motorcycle or my, it was a diving or motorcycle accident because i know it, it was it was uh hang gliding was it, was it hang gliding yeah okay. it, that, it's that's still the same in the remake because i remember they okay. they go off and they they do it together which is right so, right right it's a great sequence it's poetic yes yeah um but yeah i mean that's a good moment too i mean the and then omar Sy's character has this dark background about not really living up to his potential as a person as well as fitting into these blocks that society wants him to fill into and how he kind of yeah. feels stuck so it's like they kind of prop each other up as characters and as friends, which is kind of what friends are supposed to do. And yes, they have moments where like like verbal spats where they get into it because one of them says the wrong thing or doesn't act the way they want to or the other one kind of goes behind his back thinking he's doing the right thing for his friends, but the friend doesn't really want it. Mm-hmm. And they get into arguments, but it's felt because there is so much chemistry there. There is so much like relationship that needs to be built upon and explored that you just feel it it's a good movie yeah chris you've seen the remake (laughs) yes so like here hearing what you guys were talking about it really like it really does show me even though i haven't seen the original Mm -hmm. how much just in concept the original is better like brandy you were talking about (laughs) how their cultural differences their upbringing their economic status their race, their racial background and everything being these aspects that kind of like, oh, like these guys are friends. Like, well, that's a little weird, quote, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, realizing that like friendship, it is it should not be determined by anything other than you having a connection with this person yeah. and being able to like find happiness in their company. So, I then you know, like the, I don't have any like original like mm-hmm. anything from the original um film to reference but like in comparison to what we got in the upside yeah that really wasn't the case i did i never read that as a story about race about class or about anything other than two funny guys let's put them in a movie like yeah i don't know it it always just felt very like one-dimensional yeah. in comparison to what you guys were sharing about the original film i mean you can it's comp- very similar in yeah. plot, but they don't i think they pay more attention in the original to like the relationship and then side characters that help make that relationship whole yeah whereas in the upside it's mostly jokes about this guy being a quadriplegic and then the other guy not knowing how to deal with that or evolving to this richer lifestyle essentially taking advantage of this and the first one's like about making people better you know making each other better i just yeah i was just thinking like i guess like the what i think the biggest issue that um the remake had and it should have noticed this 
when it was deciding to remake the original was that I think they got too caught up in the star power of Kevin Kevin Hart, Brian Cranston, and Nicole Kidman. Yeah. I think they they were like, oh yeah, this will sell and this will be fine and it will be great. But like, of course, stars they do make the movie, but at the same time, you can't just throw actors into a room and expect amazing shit to happen unless it's like Jonah Hill's crew. I don't know, like, <laughs> like I don't know. There I mean, has they have to be doing something. Movie. Yeah, I think the upside is enjoyable. I don't think it's, but when you see the original first, like. Yeah it's just like night and day right uh but yeah speaking of the upside sorry i gotta i just gotta talk about i i i'm i'm currently watching through breaking bad right now and i just gotta talk about like why isn't brian cranston getting more like amazing work in movies because yeah yeah. he's very particular he him as walter white like i understand the hype now you know like <laughs> this dude fantastic. is a master actor yeah and, like i just what what is the biggest thing he's been in since breaking bad you know they missed an opportunity and godzilla I <laughs> godzilla yeah. i i think the big the ma- biggest missed opportunity was warner brothers not casting him as lex Luthor in the new superman oh, i really yeah? think he would have been excellent well because and they were like, well, he's just going to play another bald guy. I'm like, well, he's ruthless. And if the, what they're going for is the Jesse Eisenberg tech billionaire. But that's not the billionaire that they kind of wanted. They they yeah. wanted like a Mark Zuckerberg kind of character. But that's why stupid. they got Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. Because uh, I, it's... I, I don't think it's stupid because like, you know, because that's, uh, that's what our modern billionaires look like. Look like Jesse And they're like annoying pricks like that Lex Luthor. But anyways, I think he would play a perfect Lex Luthor. And I think he should play a such a complex villain like that. I mean, he, he he goes under the he he, he was in Trumbo. Oh yeah, that got he, that got acting consideration for him. Maybe at the I, Oscars. Should, I, I don't should think check was, that out. I don't think he was nominated. And then he was he started as LBJ in this movie called All the Way, which mm-hmm. Linda B. Johnson, one of the presidents from the nineteen sixties, led the civil rights he movement. Was, he was in Kung Fu Panda three. Yeah. He was, he was oh, is uh, he? Poe's dad. <laughs> yeah. Is he really Poe's dad? He's the dog. Yeah. He's in Power Rangers as uh Zardon the or computer, something like that. Yeah. The computer yeah. man. Yeah. I th- it's also funny to think about that he was one of the suit actors. That's that's what he was like early on as an actor. He w- he played the kaijus in the suits. Which also, is why he's in Power Rangers. That's he's just really that's crazy. funny. Did, did, I don't know if you guys have seen him in Malcolm in the Middle. But oh, yeah? he, he has some yeah. of the I, – I loved Malcolm in the Middle growing up, and I know this is completely off topic. <laughs> yeah. But uh, – We're just talking about Brian Cranston now. Brian Cranston episode. Um, <laughs> but he is one of the funniest actors I've ever seen in a sitcom in that that show. Yeah. Next to some of the guys in Community because, I you know, I love Community. Mm-hmm. But, like, in that show, like, he kind of stands above, like, the kids in that cast just because of how, like, weird he is and not – it shows his range from Breaking Bad to that, you know. That's his mm-hmm. range. It's crazy. Hmm. Well, man, I got to check that out now. It's kind of on a Brian Cranston kick. Okay, enough about Brian Cranston. Let's get into Brandon's second pick. Brandon, go into it. I chose a Studio Ghibli film for my second pick. I got Poggers. Kiki's, Kiki's Delivery Service. Ooh, nice. Right. So for any of you who don't know, this is a 1989 film. 
where a girl, a little witch, uh, flies to like a town to kind of hone in her powers and gain her independence. As such, she leaves all of her friends and family behind and only gets to bring along her cat. And along that way, she has to be able to make friends in order to make a living in her life, which is really relatable for somebody in college like myself and I suppose for my friends as well. Uh, and the way this shines through is in her ab keen ability to kind of gain these friendships through business opportunities, through just running into people on the street, or just to being kind to people. It's kind of like Totoro in that sense, where there isn't really a lot going on on a plot level. It's more about the themes and character relationships than it is particularly about uh, getting from A to B, you know? It is more about the journey than it is about the destination, which is what I think friendship films really do best. Like, because whether it be friendship films or adventure films, they really are exploring characters on a deeper level rather than the plot or the the um, the way one good beats one evil. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Kiki's Delivery Service is really wholesome. You really feel friendships built. And it's not just one-on-one, -on -one, it's, like, multiple, which is, I know that goes against Ethan's kind of... Well, I said I said there can be multiple. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, like, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to make note of that. Right, right. But, yeah, very wholesome, very sweet. Well, I gotta say, I'm glad you brought this up, because I want to, I want to share this quote from Hao Miyazaki that has stuck with me for such a long time about uh, friendship in his film and just overall love in his film. So he said, I've become more skeptical of the unwritten rule that just because a boy and a girl appear in the same feature, a romance must ensue. Rather, I want to portray a slightly different relationship, one where the two mutually inspire each other to live. And if I'm able to, then perhaps I'll be, then I'll be closer to portraying a true expression of love. And I'm just like, that, that, that is just such a beautiful thing. And I think it's, I think Kiki's Delivery Service is one of the uh, biggest, like the one of the top examples of what he's talking about here, because you, I think the main drive of this film is the relationship between Kiki and that boy. I keep I, I don't remember his name. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it's just like the the innocence between those two. You never feel anything romantic, you know. I think he's you do like, kind of feel on the boy on side, him. yeah. He does have a crush on her, but even even so, like, just, like, the way Kiki, like, interacts with the people in this world, you're just like, yes, this is, like, these are just, like, good people, you know? It's such a wholesome film, I think, and, oh, good, that that's a good pick for me. Chris, I, have you seen Kiki's Delivery Service? Is no, that one of the few? I haven't. Yeah, that's oh, the one, okay. that's one I haven't seen, but, like, you know, um... Miyazaki from the from the few films I've seen from him he has always delivered perfect work like he's one of those directors that like granted I haven't seen very many of his films um much to your guys' disappointment <laughs> um but like you know um I think I bring this up a lot but like there are a few directors that all three of us adore yeah we're talking Denis Villeneuve we're talking Fincher we're talking Quentin Tarantino and I think Miyazaki ranks among them like right up there with like Kurosawa or whoever. But yeah, I think he's so. he's slowly becoming my favorite director of all time. And we've seen all of his movies. Yeah. 
he's never made a single bad movie. He's not. I I think if I if I rewatch Wind Rises, I haven't yet. I said I was going to on episode twenty one. That was six episodes ago. I still haven't rewatched it. But um, I once I rewatch it, and if my if my opinion goes higher, I think I might take him to number one because that dude is just a genius mass of genius he's, on life he's like <laughs> yeah like i can't speak specifically to kiki's delivery service but miyazaki has such an eye and a voice for like everything to do with our us as humans right the stories we tell the way we feel about things and just like he speaks so closely to for whatever whatever it is he does like he's able to touch something in us that like it really does take a master of their craft to be able to do that. Yeah. He does it and through yeah. this magical realism. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to put a finger on if you're an up-and-coming director because it takes a lot of imagination. But to tap into somebody's like inner mind and psyche, you have to take them back to when they had an imagination or when they were a kid. Yeah. You remember when, remember you, when you were a kid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And when you do that, then you kind of make the audience a vulnerable participant in your future, right? And in doing so, you can connect things in a fantasy to something that might happen in reality. Even if what's happening would never happen in reality, thematically or character-wise, it will somehow make a connection. Right. So, yeah. Oh. That's my okay. number two. Yes. I, listen, the more the more Ghibli love we can give on this podcast, the better in my book. Mm-hmm. So, great pick, Brandon. Yeah, from Chris, up on Poppy Hill. Let's go. N- no, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all but that movie. I'm just kidding. Chris, take us in your right. second pick. My second pick um, is, a, is another uh, animated film. It is a 1995 film directed by... Uh, kind of crazy guy but also somewhat talented guy john lassiter big fan of fact <laughs> kind of crazy to say the least <laughs> come here come closer, come here. No. closer. <laughs> he's back but yeah um he's a big fan of stacked he he endorsed <laughs> us many many episodes ago yeah. um john lassiter and um it is his original 1995 film toy story now right. um good. One thing I think about, like, when it comes to the Toy Story series of films, like, Toy Story 2 and 4, for me, are, like, very much dealing with this idea of self-identity, and uh, especially the character of Woody coming to terms with himself and understanding who he wants to be. Um, And in Toy Story 3, I think that really deals with growing up, letting go of one's childhood and moving towards maybe your adolescence or into adulthood or whatnot. But with Toy Story 1, I think it's a very pure story about friendship. And overcoming the preconceived notions you had about someone when you had first met them. So, um, I mean, yeah, everyone knows the story. I don't think I need to break it down much more than mm-hmm. Woody and Buzz's friend, like friendship. Everyone knows who who they are and like what a difficult journey they had for Woody to accept Buzz as his like quote unquote competitor for and as Andy's favorite toy. But it's also about Buzz coming to terms with himself as not a space ranger. He is a toy. And like them reconciling these broken 
aspects of who they are through their friendship. And by the end of the film, that both them and the people around them are all the better for it. Um, and yeah, I think like it's just a very, very heartwarming film about two people that, you know, like they don't seem like they fit together, a cowboy and a space ranger, but they do because they have a shared love for, you know, each other and the people around them. So yeah, I think I think this one is like how like I could not talk about friendship in film without talking about Toy Story. What do you guys mm. think? Great, great pick. Um, I recently rewatched this film uh, for my animated film genre study class. Um, and I think it all holds up except for its animation itself. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's, it's more on the tin toy side than uh, what we see today, you know? It's but hey, really ugly. The humans are. It uh i don't know some of the some of the faces that woody makes during the movie are kind of weird wow no, the, the one think... where he goes <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about the, 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 the sort of smirk that he has <laughs> the um i i think the best way ethan to show someone the transition between the quality of animation between toy story one and four yeah. is compare the dog in toy story one and the oh. cat in four and then you'll just be like yeah night and day yeah, it's you, it's you insane. But yeah. um yeah, it's a great story like you said about um changing your expectations about somebody, you know? Like uh Woody sees Buzz as a threat to him, you know, because he thinks that Buzz is going to be the one that ends up replacing Woody as Andy's favorite toy. And it's just like it's a it's a story about jealousy for Woody, you know? Mm-hmm. And and then it's a ex- it's more of an existential film for Buzz, I feel, because it's him realizing like who he is and what he is, you know, rather than a, a space ranger. But yeah, like Woody and Buzz, the the friendship is iconic, you know. Uh, I feel like if you, if you ever talked about movie duos, someone would bring up Woody Woody and Buzz in the conversation. So I yeah, this is a great pick. Totally understand it, Brandon this movie is about overcoming prejudice you know like you said this is like he does not like he is jealous he feels like he's going to be replaced because this is something cooler and newer and the relationship in the film is really solid because it highlights the evolution of that relationship really well through their own introspective character journeys because woody's journey is that of he's the leader he loses that title or he seemingly thinks he loses that title he gets jealous and gets like rid of buzz and then learns to kind of care about him through like self or not self-inflicted but joint trauma with uh buzz at sid's house and then buzz's is like you said more about him realizing what he is and what his role is and show that he because he is kind of a narcissist buzz buzz is a narcissist whether or not you think he means to be as like a good natured one or anything because he does like thrive off praise and being kind to people, which can kind of come off as being asshole or like being, being an asshole because he's mm-hmm. playing into that. He's not being humble. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and when you don't do that, it shows your cockiness and you seem arrogant and hubristic. And once he comes to terms with that and hits rock bottom and Woody kind of tries to motivate him, whether that be, 
for his own self-preservation or not it kind of joins them at the hip and they like instantly become friends at the end and it doesn't feel out of place and weird even though it feels like their friendship is only so short-lived and so real but right. that that's what the sequels do they build upon that except for four mm-hmm. which i know you guys have feelings about but i love that oh buzz lightyear in toy story 4 so sad because uh, he's a trump supporter <laughs> Buzz is a Trump supporter. Well, well Tim Allen. Tim Allen is. <laughs> Wait, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, dude, go uh, go on his Twitter. You'll have a field day. It's it, he's been saying some insane stuff about Marxism and everything like that. It's I think it's super funny. Uh, all right, good, great pick, Chris. Uh, on to me for the last round. Uh, my my last pick is also a Pixar film. <laughs> a Bugs Life. Uh, no, not Bugs Life. <laughs> it's actually this is a, I'm gonna call this a restack. I don't know oh. a, a film we've already brought up in the past, but what didn't go onto the final stack? Then I bring it up again. Mm. We talked about it. How it's a great platonic film, yeah. platonic friendship. 2003 Monsters Inc. Yep. Oh yeah. I think excellent. This is my all time favorite. I think Pixar it's actually film. 01. 01? Oh, sorry. Oh one. My bad. Uh. 2001 Monster Inc. Um, ah, just Woody, not, Woody and Buzz Woody. in this movie, man. <laughs> like, okay, I'm gonna be honest. I've never seen a Pixar movie. <laughs> no, Mike and Sully, I think, are way more of an iconic friendship than Woody and Buzz, just because the iconic quote, "We're a team. Nothing is more important than our friendship." Like that's what this whole movie is about is you you see the dynamic between Mike and Sully in the beginning of this film, and you think that Mike Wazowski's sort of getting the short end of the stick here by being the assistant, you know? Um, and then throughout this adv- adventure, like, I think both characters sort of realize, like, what they need from each other. Like, you know? Like, they both find the value in their friendship by this crazy... Uh, situation they have with Boo, you know, the human character, and like being on the run from the law and everything like that. And this is just this is a great film about like a friendship being tested, um, and just like prevailing in the end. Uh, you know, I love th- the voices of Billy Crystal and John Goodman, like such perfectly casted characters. Um, and you know we've talked we talked all about like the world and stuff like that in the monsters episode so i'm not really going to go more into that but i just want to touch on like this film is it just like is an absolutely beautiful uh exploration of a friendship and i i had to do it again i had to pick this movie again because i love it so much brandon i almost picked this movie for yeah third, third <laughs> one because but i i knew we had talked about it before on the stacked our podcast Mm -hmm. but this is one of my favorite pixar movies has been for a really long time outside of the sequel toy story movies the three and four which i really love um this movie out of all of their originals like number one films you know stands out this and inside out for me i think and the reason why is there are two friendships in this there's the relationship between boo and sully and sully and mike and both mm-hmm. of those relationships are extremely wholesome 
Yeah. Um, there's one about overcoming what you believe one thing is. You know, you view one thing as an energy source and the other one views you as a monster. How do you kind of overcome that prejudice somewhat like the first Toy Story movie? Right. And then, like you said, there's this other really great friendship predicated on this uh, belief of a superior person because of, like, you might have a friend who's better looking than you who just is, like, you know, the superior person at work, but you're still their friend. Um, but it is when you examine, like, the friendship outside of, like, that moment, like, as roommates or mm -hmm. as equals that you really find, like, why these two people communicate so effectively and yeah. why they are such good friends to begin with. And, like, you, you, you nailed it. They, there is no way they could have casted this any better. Their chemistry carries over and I think saves Monsters University Oh, yeah, I definitely. know you don't like that movie as much as Chris and I do, but mm. uh, I think it's an enjoyable film because of them. And I think their friendship evolves, you know, over time. But just to focus on Monsters, Inc., lovely, lovely. I agree with you on the more iconic duo than Woody and Buzz. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I also really, really love Monsters, Inc. and Monsters University. Um there's that scene in Monsters, Inc. where they get banished to this the snow world, but it just turns out to be, like, you know, somewhere yeah. snowy. So, <laughs> um, and they have that big argument in this ice cave, and it's... Oh, that's such a good Wow, scene. great scene. Like, you yeah. really see, like, these guys are friends, but, man, they get testy with each other sometimes. And that's realistic, because, yeah, you're not... You don't get along with your best friends every single time even though largely you might. But yeah, I think like they do a really great job of being able to show the ins and outs. And like I said, that's a big thing I look for with great friendship films. Um, yeah, um, I think I would, I would agree with you guys that this might be a better friendship than, um, than Buzz and Woody. But mm -hmm. I would say among like the discourse of the world, I yeah. think people recognize Buzz and Woody as a friendship more than sully and mike and i think that's just because toy story just tends to be more popular i just and feel like just because just... there's also more movies I, yeah. I feel like i but it's established from the get-go in monsters inc and monsters university well halfway no. through monsters university yeah. that they're friends you right. know and one of the things i always will go back to is the end of the movie where mm -hmm. mike painstakingly Oh, the door puts together mm -hmm. the door, yeah. And with his, and you see, his hands are torn up because he had to go through the shredder, you know. Yeah. And he gave up all of that time, and you know, he could have been doing better things, right? But he mm -hmm. did it because he knew his friend wanted to do this thing at yeah. least one more time, you know, because he knew it meant something to him. Oh. Yeah, that's a that's a big bro move, right? Yeah, big it bro is. move. It really is. After that big fight, he kind of de it wasn't like, mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of deserved it. You know, sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. sacrifice. Yeah. All right. Rock okay. Brandon, take us into your last pick. All right, my last film is a 1969 film. I think neither of you guys have seen it. It's mm -hmm. about four friends. It's called Bob and Ted and Carol and Alice. That's what it's called. Oh. So this is a movie that I saw last year 
and it's about these four friends, two two couples, who go to the or one couple that goes to a sexual like liberation camp and kind of sort out their feelings in like the transitionary late sixties period, you know, where mm-hmm. like there was a sexual awakening, there were these new ideas, there was the civil rights movement, the Vietnam War, and the these two friends or no this couple right they like decide we're not going to do our relationship the traditional way we're going to be completely open about who we date and if we date and or sleep with other people to counteract this conservative 1960s culture and what makes it so fun is that there's this other couple that they're best friends with and they're doing drugs with one night and that other couple kind of is going through relationship problems and they decide to kind of go through the same thing that this couple is going through, which may or may not be the right thing. So one couple is definitely cooler that with this idea than the <laughs> other. And it's yeah. a great little comedy that is like really ahead of its time because it depicts one of fr- friendships and how like they transcend like sexuality sometimes and also how relationships are not just defined by physical actions or going out with people. It's about the people, you know. It's it seems very um it seems very seventies in its themes, you know. I mean it's nineteen sixty nine, so I guess you can technically counter it seventies, but I feel like I yeah, I haven't seen it, but it's it sounds like it is one of those uh sort of culture breaking films for the time, you know, cause things were pretty in, at least in the media, you know, uh, you, you did have like, uh, the hippie movement and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, civil rights movement in the sixties, but you didn't really, you didn't really see these ideologies, uh, it's this sort of free loving ideologies in like movies and TV until exactly. I, I feel like until the seventies. So that's cool to hear that. It's like, it, it sort of is one of the films that sort of started this off, you know. Mm-hmm. I got got to check it out, Chris. Any thoughts? No, I'm in the exact same boat as you. Like, you know, seeing like these whole this whole like thing about um, like ideo- ideological like shifting and all that. Like, I think that's a very that's a very interesting that's a concept that I'm very fascinated by. It's something I write about. I think a lot in like my film studies papers. So. Um, yeah, I'm very much interested by that. And I I mean, I've never heard about this film before. So yeah, Bernie, you sold me. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Chris, you want to take us? Let's wrap this up with your last yeah. pick. So I wanted, I had a bit of a hard time finding my last pick. I I will give a quick honorable mention to The Iron Giant. I came uh, this close to picking it. Yeah. But I decided oh. not to because I feel like I could save that for another one. Um. So my final pick, I wanted to find something comedic. I really wanted to hone into that. And I kept jumping between either a buddy cop film or a stoner comedy film. <laughs> so I buddy cop films, you know, you've got Rush Hour, you got Hot Fuzz, Nice Guys, oh, yeah. Bad Boys, Men in Black, oh. whatever. And stoner comedy, you got Superbad, Bill and Ted, The Interview, Dude, Where's My Car? Mm-hmm. Like the list goes on. But yeah, and I, I haven't seen that. I need to see that. But the film that I chose, I think, is a perfect conglomeration of these two. Oh, yeah. It is 22 Jump Street. 22. Directed by, directed by Phil Lloyd and Chris Miller in 2014. 
Um, it is a buddy cop film, but it's also very much a stoner comedy film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, you know, you have all these antics about like how they're making fun of the fact that this is a sequel. There's this amazing scene that I know we all love with uh, Ice Cube and the daughter. And then there's that whole thing. And yeah. we could talk about that scene for hours because that's perfect comedy right there. But why I picked this about in terms of friendship, I think there is there's this great story about how Jenko, played by Channing Tatum, feels dragged down by I forget his real I forget his name. Jonah Hill's character. Schmidt. Schmidt. Yeah, Schmidt. He feels dragged down by Schmidt in the sense of like, you know, um, there's a bit like he was talking about how like he feels like when he's playing football, he can fly. And like he feels like he, he feels like there's so much more out there for him when he's when he's able to break away from this the quote unquote restraints that Jonah Hill places on him. Um and there's great there's this great like exchange between them about like how what's more important, our friendship or our individuality. And by the end of the film, I think it, although it does lean towards friendship over our individuality, which I think like is an admirable thing in, in a way, I do think they do also recognize that like they are different people. Yeah. Um, there needs like, to be a little know, of both. Yeah. And like Jenko is obviously a star athlete. He is the, he is a great cop in the sense of like his physicality and able to, you know, solve crime on a dime, on a dime. But Jonah Hill's character, he's intelligent, he's really smart, he's he knows how to like handle things really well. And like I think they do a great job of exploring how their friendship kind of like I don't know, like interweaves between one another. And I don't know, it's just a great like film. It's actually like kind of touching. Like that scene at the end of the beach where they say, like, you know, I I'm in, like, like I'm in all the way, man. Like you're like you're my best friend, yeah. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's something about it just feels so like this is this is their friendship and it's so ridiculous but also so funny and so like heartwarming in a weird way i don't know how how else to put it than that but i mean you guys love this movie what do you guys think yeah like i i think another (laughs) a really great scene uh to emphasize the sort of uh turmoil they go through in this film is the couple's counseling scene Mm -hmm. yes where it's it's played so well where like the the counselor like thinks that these two are like an actual couple you know and they're talking about their relationship but they but the way they're saying it is like them as partners as cops not at partners you know romantically and it's just it's a really funny scene uh yeah and i mean it it, this film like it, it knows it trudges over a lot of similar beats from the first film you know it's like it's very self-aware that like th- this whole the, the whole jump street model sort of is a repetitive thing so they they really play into that to try to make something uh original and fun and i think they they accomplish that but um yeah like you said chris like uh channing tatum's character like f- sort of now finally finding his crowd you know with the yeah. jocks like uh which sort of aligned with his skills and then uh jonah hill this time being the one that's like sort of left out you know because i think he was the one that was like the popular one right from in high school in the high school one yeah because yeah, and then chain team hung, hung out with the nerds yeah. right yeah that's right but um so it's just it's it's fun for them to like i think this is a, a lot like monsters inc 2 where the first film sort of like mm-hmm. uh 
this one was establishing the relationship, but now this one's already established like Monster Inc., you know, mm-hmm. and now you got to see them uh, continue and work through it. So yeah, F- funny film. Exact same thing. Really? Word for yeah, word? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. What You got anything else to say, Brandon? Uh, I mean, it is a continuation of their relationship. Personally, I don't find it necessarily heartwarming. I don't think it's like bad or anything. I just, I didn't, I didn't right. get emotional at that scene in the movie. However, I do recognize that there's a lot more character work being done below the surface through comedy work, which is really deft. Usually right. you, you don't have one in the same. Usually you'll have your dramatic scenes and your comedy scenes. But like you said, that scene with the counselor is doing a lot of legwork here in terms of like one, their insecurities as partners and two, just being a funny scene because there's a bit of dramatic irony between the audience and what they know and what the counselor knows, which is very little. So in that sense, like there is, there are moments of this movie that are extremely clever in depicting that friendship differently, but it is kind of similar in a sense to the first film. And I can't overlook that similarity. Right. Okay. Well, there it is. There, those are all of our films. So before we get to hashing out this final stack of friendship, there's no double stacks episode. So it's going to be hard to figure out which three films we want to put. Let's, let's go through our films one more time. So we're all refreshed and ready to, you know, debate out and share our pitches. So my stack for this episode was 2010's The Trip, 2011's The Untouchables, and then 2001's Monsters, Inc. Brandon? I have 1998's Central Station, 1989's Kiki's Delivery Service, and 1969's Bob, Ted, Carol, and Alice. Um, and I had 2014's How to Train Your Dragon 2, 1995's Toy Story, and 2014's 22 Jump Street. Alrighty. Let's see here. Um, I think Monsters, Inc. should be here. Monsters, Inc.? I would put up yeah. Monsters, Inc. I think we all universally love the friendship in there. I think I, I was going to go either between Monsters, Inc. and Toy Story. I think or like one of those two should be on this list. And I think, I think are we all in agreement for Monsters, Inc.? Yeah, okay. I'm okay with Monsters, Inc. Yeah, I'm fine with that, too. Um, let's see. <laughs> we, we can make this film just all animated movies. Just you do Monsters, Inc., Kiki's. Kiki's, How to Train Your Dragon 2. <laughs> no, but... <laughs> let's see. Let's let's try to let's try to spread out into different genres here. What about um, Central Station? I I think we should put Central Station on this list just because it's um, so different from the rest of them. Yeah, it it feels like unlike a lot of friendship movies, especially yeah. of, of recent. Usually, it's people of the same age, see people mm-hmm. of mostly the same background, but there's enough in common. But in that movie, like there's so much difference between the two main characters, right? And that sort of like that sort of tackles this theme that we put together of two different kinds of people coming together, mm-hmm. if, an uncommon relationship, you know. Yeah. Um, and then for the third one, I think, let's see, I I th- I would be down for Twenty Two Jump Street, because I, I think that's a that's an action buddy cop like buddy a buddy cop movie is a pretty iconic, like, sort of friendship thing in cinema. It's going to be know? a chaotic marathon. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it really is. <laughs> Friendships um, are chaotic, though. 
then do you want to do something a bit more like sentimental with how to train your dragon 2 i know a lot of people like those uh here's my argument for 22 gem street yeah uh, we have if we do that one then we have all three separate kind of genres you've got an animated kids movie yeah you've got a action adult humor comedy you know uh yeah. and then you've got a melodramatic sort of darker comedy drama you know in central station so yeah. you've got three different films and also i feel like you can watch um 22 jump street without having watched 21 jump street yeah. oh definitely yeah whereas with how to train your dragon 2 i think it helps to have the first one yeah okay so is that fair i think i think we're all in a pretty good agreement that this should be our yeah. list yeah all right let's let's figure out our order here um let's let's kick it off with 22 jump street yeah i think that's a good party starter yeah um then central and station then I th- central yeah station. then and central then station inc. yeah then monsters inc monsters inc oh. will melt melt you and want you want you to make you want to hug your homies well you can't end on central station because of how it ends so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> these these movies will make you want to kiss your homies goodnight so (laughs) (laughs) all right that's a good that's a good order this is a this is a good don't do that yeah (laughs) freaking covid not letting me kiss my homies goodnight yeah so let's get into our quintessential friendship movie stack for episode 27 of the podcast chris do you want to start us off yeah so um, we'll be starting off with Phil Lloyd and Chris Miller's 2014 buddy cop, buddy cop film, 22 Jump Street, a story about uh, two best friends in the police force and they get up to crazy adventures together. But it's also a great story about expectations, about um, individuality and about, of course, friendship. All right. Our number two film is Central Station, a great unlikely friendship feature about an older woman and a young boy as they road trip across the Brazilian country. And our and our last film, as Brandon would say, <laughs> is a Pixar, an iconic Pixar film, Pete Doctor's Monsters Inc. Uh, one of the ultimate uh, explorations in platonic love between these two perfectly casted and iconic characters of Mike Wazowski and Sully. I forgot. I forgot his, Sully's last name. Isn't that weird? We don't, we don't remember Sully's. Sully. No, well, Sully, Sully is his last name. Oh, J- is it James like P. Sullivan? Oh yeah. James John P. James Sullivan. Sullivan. Not, Not as iconic as Mike Wazowski. The, Hudson, the plane on the Hudson. <laughs> I, I <laughs> bet there's all, a, a Sully poster of with out of the Sully as the captain. <laughs> we didn't even need to look that up it's probably already out there but yeah a great film about friends a beautiful film about friends and that will end this episode with us three friends you know we've we had we've had our turmoil we've had our problems these past 27 episodes but i think we can put that all behind us (laughs) can i say something I think yeah. it's kind of beautiful how we bookended it. We you you start the the trilogy right with Twenty Two Jump Street, mm-hmm. which is two buddy cops, right? Then you end yeah. with two brothers, and Mike and Sully. <laughs> yeah, brothers in arms, brothers in duty, Bro- brothers in arms. 
Call Monster Army. I want a, I want a Monsters Inc. sequel. Yeah, me too. I don't want another prequel. I, 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 I would love to see them come back and like. But what maybe would the drama Luke? be, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Flash it on screen. Yeah, the the iconic face. Oh my god. I I, I maybe something with Boo being grown up or something. I don't know. I would like that. Something a la Inside Out. Yeah. Because Pete well, anyways. is genius. Anyway. Yeah. We we could ponder about se- potential sequels all day. Let's wrap up this podcast. Thank you all for listening to the 27th episode of Stacked. Um, yeah. Okay. Bye.